Isaiah records for us a really challenging and emotional scene. Imagine if you knew when you were going to die. Imagine that the news came to you to get your affairs in order that your time is now over. That is the very thing that happens to King Hezekiah in Isaiah chapter 38. The very first verse says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. And what we have recorded here is a story that is in a story that's in a story. And I'll explain that because that'll help you understand where we're at in Isaiah. What is transpiring right here is occurring while the Assyrian siege is going on. The deliverance has not happened yet. We are in Jerusalem and under the massive threat of Assyria that is about to try to take Jerusalem, that has already conquered most of the country of Judah itself, This news now comes along. And verse 1 to verse 8 records the overview of what happens with Hezekiah. And then verse 9 to the end of this chapter records the details that occur in verses 1 through 8. It is from this scene that there is the challenge to renew our commitment. And we're going to learn from this how it is easy to lose our commitment and some of the factors that come into play that may cause us to weaken our faith and no longer hold strong to the Lord. And so verse 1 gives us this sad, sad scene. As the king of Judah now receives word, you are ill and you're not going to make it. You're not going to recover from this. Notice Hezekiah's response in verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. That's the summary of what Hezekiah prayed. We'll get more details about this prayer later on in the chapter. But interesting picture before us. Here is Hezekiah's response. Hezekiah turns to God. Immediately Hezekiah turns to God and he now begins to offer prayers to God because of what has happened. And the basis of that is so important and we'll see this in our study tonight. But notice how it is summed up. The summary of Hezekiah's prayer is simply, do you remember my faithfulness? I have served you all my life. I've tried to do my best before you. I've tried to obey you and be diligent in my service to you. Remember that, O Lord. I think that's an amazing response. And notice how the Lord responds with this in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to Hezekiah. Go and say, excuse me, came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. 
This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turned back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. That's the summary of what takes place. Now, what is really amazing about this account is what now happens in verse 9. This doesn't happen too often in Scripture where the person who this event is dealing with this gets to now write what was going on. If it's somebody else writing about the person, uh, that's usually what we read. It's not too often that you would like read through the king's account and all of a sudden King Ahaz says, now let me take the pen for a minute and let me tell you what was going on. It doesn't work that way. The narrator just tells you the story. Here's what happened in the days of this king and this king and this king. But verse 9 The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. Here is Hezekiah saying, now let me tell you how this all went. And so the first eight verses tell you the story. Here's what I heard from God. God said, put your affairs in order. And Hezekiah's response was prayer. Was earnest prayer to God. Now notice the emotions that are in this. Verse 10. Here's what Hezekiah said. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night you bring me to an end. I call myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. What you get right here now fills in the details of what happens. And we're noticing how weighty this was to Hezekiah. It is easy to read this or even... Perhaps look at the Chronicles account and go, well, what Hezekiah does is he seems to be this impervious man that Isaiah says, you know, you're going to die, put your affairs in order. And Hezekiah prays and then God just answers. And that's the end of the story, as if it all happened within about one or two minutes. And this tells us, no, no. Hezekiah day and night is praying to God. And he is crushed by what has happened. In verse 10, his cry is, you have taken me in the prime of my life. That's really the idiom of in the middle of my days. You're cutting me down right in the prime of my life. And notice that he says there, I'm going to my grave is what verse 10. To be consigned to the gates of Sheol is is a kind way to say I'm going to my death. It's over for me. 
My time is done. You are breaking me and crushing me. As like he says in verse 12, like the tent being taken down or being cut off from the loom. And notice that you get a picture of the emotion with him. As he says, I calm myself uh, until morning, but then like a lion, he breaks all my bones. Verse 14, crying out like a like a bird. All you can barely get out is just a, a small sound to God and the pain that he is going through. And notice verse 14. I love the phrase. My eyes are weary with looking upward. This picture of he is just praying over and over and over again to God. My eyes are weary because I keep coming to you in prayer and I just keep putting my eyes up to the sky trying to to ask of God to take this from me. And I think it is interesting the basis upon which that we're seeing Hezekiah pray is Hezekiah isn't just simply saying, well, I just want to live a long time. But verse three showed us that he's basing it on faithfulness, that he wants to be able to serve God. And I think this is a great beginning point for our thoughts in that. When we encounter time like this, when there is a distress, such a grave moment that not only are we given the right to pray to God, but we are given the right to pray to God and say, Lord, extend my life. I don't want this to happen. I don't want to go out now. I want to continue on. But with, I think, a careful disclaimer. That the reason we want to go on is not a selfish cling to life. Like, well, I've just got more stuff I wanted to do. You never, you know, I never got to go see Paris. And so I really want to take some more vacations before then. You know, not that. But his basis of verse three, I think, is just amazing because he just seems to be saying, I'm serving you wholeheartedly and I want to keep doing that. I want to keep serving you. I want to be able to keep on serving you. And I think that's the the picture that is that is being given here is I want to continue to serve you. Verse 18, Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. Basically, how can I continue to proclaim your glory and show my faithfulness and serve you if I'm dead? I want to live to your glory, to your praise, for your faithfulness. That is a great basis to ask for an extension of life. And that seems to be what Hezekiah is doing as he turns to God repeatedly in prayer. That it's not just simply, or it's not at all, his hope bound in this world that what will happen to me if I'm not alive? That's not the concern. But the concern is his, the faithfulness of God, the glory of God, and the desire to proclaim that and to show that to the world. And now verse 16 really becomes, I think, verse 16 and 17 becomes staggering. Verse 16, O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. So here is the expression. Make me live, restore my health. And so we are learning the acceptance that it is right, okay, to pray for these things. And now look at verse 17. This is, I think, interesting. Behold, 
It was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. You have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you, as do I this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will play my music on string instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. And Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So notice this gives you the details of the first eight verses. As here he asked for a sign, and that's why we were told in verse seven what that sign was and what God did. I want us to notice though, zero back in on verse 17, how Hezekiah could say, This was for my welfare. Essentially, this was for my good. This worked a good in my life. That's pretty hard to figure, right? I mean, that's a a very big thing to say when you have an event like this happen. That Hezekiah can say now on the other side of it, after God has come in and spared him, he says, you know what? There is really some big good, some big things that I've learned from this that have been good to my life. And I think there's at least three things that he is identifying that he learned. And I think the most obvious when any kind of situation like this arises, what is the first thing that we are reminded of, but that we don't have control over how long we're alive here? We don't have control over our days. God has control, but we do not have control over our days. This is such an important reminder. That we must accept this reality that we do not know how long our time will be. We do not know how many days that we will have. And as much as I think all of us try to either deny or ignore this great truth that there is an end that is coming to all of us. And we don't know when that time is going to be. And I use that phrase, no one's making it out of here alive. That's just what's happening And to recognize then and not assume the blessings that we have now. It is so easy to assume that the good that we have and the blessings that we have are just going to continue on as we're moving now to 2014. And it's just going to be just as good going forward, right? And you're going to be able to do all that you want to do and all your plans are going to be fulfilled and you're going to live how you want to live and you're going to go when it's your time and you're ready. And we need this reminder We so easily forget that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We are not guaranteed next month. We are not guaranteed next year. And perhaps most notably, not only are we not guaranteed life, we're not necessarily even guaranteed the kind of life that we would want to have. We're not guaranteed that. There's no promise of that. Which means then we must so appreciate what God has done. And we must take advantage of our opportunities to praise God and worship God 
take advantage of the opportunities to grow in our faith to God, to take advantage of the time to be able to reach out with the gospel to the world, to take advantage of the times that we have to do the things that God has called us to do. And we must not overlook that and presume, well, I have next week, I have next month, I have next year, I'll get my life right with God then, I'll do better then. I'll be more faithful then. I'll get stronger then. We can't put that off. What an amazing thing to have in verse 1 that suddenly Isaiah just walks in and just says, you know what, you're not going to make it. Go and put your things in order. And that could happen to any one of us at any time. And we have to be ready for that. And to have lived our lives toward God to the best that we can do it to today, this moment. That we have given what we can give to God and not assume that we have a time ahead to get our lives right, to become what we know we need to be as this flock. We can't do that. And I believe that is one of the most obvious things that would do that. And I hope then that would compel us to a greater commitment toward God when we recognize that we don't have control over tomorrow. And we don't have control over what will happen in this new year. And we don't can have control over if this next year is going to be a year of blessings and comfort and good tidings. Or if this next year is going to be a miserable year full of pain and suffering and difficulty. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what our life is going to be. And so we commit ourselves to God who has charge over these things. We renew our commitment to God, recognizing, I don't know what tomorrow is going to give. And so I'll live for God today. And I'll take advantage of what God has given me today. And I'll enjoy the blessings that God has given me today, unknowing what will happen in the future. Second, he says it specifically in verse 17. He says, in love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. There are times in the scriptures where God gives beautiful imagery of how he deals with our sins. Scott got to teach us one of them as far as east is from the west. I love that one. You hear God say it's like putting your your sins in the depths of the seas. Here's a beautiful one. You have cast all my sins behind your back. God cannot see your sins when he puts them behind your back. He has moved forward. He has gone forward with us. And this should now cause us to appreciate God all the more. And I think should drive us to a greater commitment to God. He has forgiven our sins. When we have turned our hearts to Him, when we have asked for forgiveness of sins, the sins that you committed yesterday, the sins that you committed last week, the sins that you committed last month, all of the sins that you have committed from the time that you had any awareness of God's law and sin are behind the back of God. How can that not then move us to commit a greater commitment to God? That God says, you know, those sins that you still have guilt about, those sins that still nag at you about the decision you made. If you've come to God, 
If you've taken those things to God, He says, they're behind my back. I don't deal with them anymore. They're forgiven. They're gone. They're out of sight. And that is a glorious hope. That is a glorious hope that your sin stands behind God. And we serve a gracious God that should renew our commitment to be stronger toward Him in 2014 because He has taken every single sin that we have committed and said, I have forgiven them through the blood of Christ. Number three. Praise God today and all the days of your life. Look at verse 19. The living, the living, He thanks you as I do this day. That is one of the great things that we learn and is a great reminder of what we need to do. Hezekiah learns that we need to praise God today and we need to praise God all of our days. That the living must take advantage of the time to praise the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord. And I hope that we will especially do that this week. This is a time that most of us get off of work and get to be together. And I hope you'll be reflective and think about God has been so good to us. And we must take this as a time to praise God for the immense physical blessings we have, for the health that we have been given, for another year that He has allowed us to worship Him, to take advantage of it, to appreciate it, and to praise Him for it. And I think that's utterly important because it doesn't matter how difficult the year has been or how difficult the month has been or the week has been or the day has been. This has been a hard year for me and my family. We've had a lot transpire as I think back to the year that has gone on and all the ups and downs from being in the hospital with Grace to the various doctors and new things that have come up. But even with all of that, God has been faithful and good to us. No matter how difficult things get and no matter how much things do not go according to plan, God has been faithful and good to us no matter what happens. To appreciate what we have, to understand that these things are the glorious blessings of God. And so we must live knowing that we do not have control over tomorrow, that God has forgiven our sins and that we will praise him every day that he gives us breath. This seems to be in chapter 38 what Isaiah or what Hezekiah says that he's learned that Hezekiah says, I've grasped these things and that's why it was good, though it was bitterness to my soul to go through that, that this must be three important reminders that renew our commitment to God. And now, chapter 39 is so sad. Chapter 39, everything turns over. And you would love for this scene to end And we'd go into chapter 40 with God and all of his glorious promises about what he is going to do when the Christ comes and brings in the kingdom and saves his people. But listen to chapter 39, Isaiah 39, verse 1. At that time, Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, 
his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. What a tremendous failure at the very end of Hezekiah's life. It is, I think, so staggering because here is this grave sin. Hezekiah has been healed. God has come to him and said, your time is over. Hezekiah has prayed day and night over and over again. And Isaiah comes to him and says, I will give you 15 more years. And word apparently spreads through the nations about the recovery of Hezekiah. So much so that the king of Babylon sends messengers to Judah and basically brings gifts to Hezekiah, praising him and saying, boy, isn't it great that you're doing better? Isn't it wonderful that you've recovered? And in this temptation... Of pride and flattery, Hezekiah says, yes, let me show you my great realm. Let me show you my power. Let me show you all my wealth. Let me show you everything that I have. What an amazing change where we see Hezekiah from a deathbed attitude of save me, Lord, and I will praise you all of my days to a proud, arrogant man who wants to impress the Babylonian messengers. Look at all my stuff. Look at all my power. Look at the glory of my realm. And there are many lessons and many reminders from this. I think, first of all, it's an important reminder is that when we think of our own importance, we forget about the importance of God. When we start thinking about ourselves, we start thinking about our importance and why we are, quote, special That causes us to lose focus on God's importance and God's value. That's what happens to Hezekiah. He goes back to life as normal. Oh, how often we fall into that trap. That even if it isn't by physical sickness, that God has healed us spiritually and poured out his generous grace to us for us to so often just turn around and go right back to living how we want to live and bringing glory to ourselves and not focusing on God anymore. This is what Hezekiah does. And I want you to see that there is something even bigger than this. The problem 
is not only just being selfish and arrogant and proud, but what that causes. I want you to consider how this story could have gone. I don't know if it's exactly what God was hoping for Hezekiah to do, but imagine this. So the messengers come and they say, wow, you've recovered. You were on your deathbed. You weren't supposed to make it. That is amazing. And Hezekiah goes, you want to know why I'm healed? Because there is a great God in heaven. And he is the one that has healed me. And it is not by worshiping your Babylonian gods that you would ever find such hope or relief. But there is a true God in heaven. And he is the one who answers prayer. And he is the one who has healed me. It should have gone something like that. Imagine sending that message back to the king of Babylon. This is the ultimate problem, is that when God's glory should have been displayed, Hezekiah displayed his own glory. He says, look at my power, look at my wealth, look at my realm, look at my might. And friends, that's why pride and arrogance and self-centeredness is sinful. Because it takes the glory off of God and puts it on ourselves as if we're something. And this is Hezekiah's error. And this is why I believe Isaiah comes to him and says that all that you think is so important is all being shipped to Babylon. If you do not recognize that everything you have has been given and granted to you by God, then God says, I will send it off. I will send it away to Babylon because of what you've done. I want you to consider this. When you look at the Chronicles account, you don't have to turn there, but if you read the Chronicles account, you'll notice it's practically verbatim. But there is one little statement that's told to us there in St. Chronicles 32. It says there that God did this to test Hezekiah. This whole scene unfolds in sending messengers. And how is Hezekiah going to respond? Is all a test by God? Well, now that you have been healed and set back on your feet and been given all of this blessing and grace of God, what will you do with it? What will be your response? And Hezekiah utterly fails. And when it comes to the blessings and grace of God, we cannot fall back into self-absorption, into pride and arrogance. What are we going to do with our new life? What are we going to do now that God has blessed us so richly? What are we going to do now that we have received such an amazing grace from the Father? What will we do now? How will we live our lives? Will we just go back to the way we were? As Hezekiah does. Or will we now live radically transformed lives that are pointing always to the greatness and the glory of God? It is tests like these that challenge. Will we renew our commitment to God or will we lose our commitment? It is during these kinds of deep difficulties, times of distress, times when things are on the line, when you do not know how it is going to work out. That I always believe is the challenge of the trial. The trial, you do not know what the outcome will be. It is so dark when you're in the middle of a trial. 
And we have a question that stands before us. Will will this be the time that we now lose our commitment? Will this be the time that we give up on God? Will this be the time that we will be weakened in faith? Will this be the time that we turn to ourselves for our own answers? Or will we have the wherewithal to recognize that we must turn to God first and foremost, that He is the one that is in control and He is the one who can do something about it? And so I want to leave you with four things for renewing your commitment. Number one, never forget we don't have control. We just don't. I like to think I do. That's why I like to drive and not fly. Feel like I've got some kind of control. It's false. We have no control. This may be our very last day. We may have decades more ahead, but we don't have control over that. And so we must renew our commitment to God, recognizing that today is the day to serve God. Today is the day to be faithful to God, that you do not have the promise of tomorrow to renew your life to God. Today is the day to renew it. Number two, appreciate every day what we have before God. Every day appreciate it. Every day, thank God for the forgiveness of sins. Every day, thank God, all my sins are behind me. Yet another day of sins are behind the back of my Lord. And I am repentant of those things and confess those things to my God. Third, renew your commitment by praising God every day. There shouldn't be a moment that we do not praise God. There is nothing that we can go through that is still not deserving of our praise to Him. And we see the prophets and the apostles exemplify it as they were persecuted, as they went through difficulties, and they just kept praising God. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if our life is shortened. It doesn't matter if things do not go according to plan. God is worthy of our praise. And as bad as things might be for us this next year, God still is worthy of our praise. And so direct our hearts and attention to the Lord, not ourselves. Always direct attention to God. God has carried us through. God is the reason why we still stand. Though crushed by difficulties and and hurt by afflictions and dealing with suffering, God is the reason why we continue to exist. We will praise Him because He has been so good to us. I hope that will help you renew your commitment. I hope that will make you stronger when you focus on the blessings of God and see how God has been so good to us. And may we not lose sight of that as Hezekiah did and fall back into the old habits that lead us away from glorifying God. So we pull out our psalm books. We're going to sing it as an invitation for you to turn away from your sins, to make your commitment to Jesus Christ, to obey Him with all of your heart, to serve Him and follow Him. Because He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our sacrifice. He is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of our love. May we give it to Him every day with all of our heart. Turn away from those sins, confessing Jesus as the Son of God and living up to that, believing Him to be the one in charge of our lives. And we will listen and do all that He says. If you haven't been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, that's when your sins are washed away. That's your starting point to begin to walk with God. And if you're ready to do that, won't you come forward now while we stand and sing?